Hey guys, Josh here. Today's episode is with local comedy legend Spud Murphy. We talk to Spud about life growing up around Albury-Wodonga, his early days in comedy, and his new comedy club, Spud's Comedy Club, which is due to open April 29th, 2022 at Bird Dog in Albury. And from what Spud had to say about it, it's going to be pretty special. So if you wanted to catch up on some other great interviews, get the links including ticket links that are mentioned in today's episode, or even buy Mel and I a coffee, head over to punchingsideways.com, or if social media is more your kind of thing, you can find us under at Punching Sideways on Facebook and Instagram. Okay guys, let's jump in now with the wonderful, warm, and very funny Spud Murphy. Now, firstly, where did the name Spud Murphy come from? It's a nickname. I think it goes back to um, the French. Potatoes, uh, their nicknames are Spud. Yeah. Um, they say they call them Murphys. So uh, every time you hear a Murphy, half the time they ca- can be Spud. So there are, there are a few Spuds out there, but I don't think there's any Spud Murphy comedians. Uh, hopefully I'm the only one. Well, I haven't heard of any others, but immediately when I hear... Murphy, I just think of rock flats. <laughs> and there's bloody Murphys. Yeah, like. that's right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of French comedians come to mind either. No, <laughs> not, not really. None that I can understand anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, they did have the French fries, which is a derivative of the spud, so maybe then that's, that's right. like a link in there. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so your background, you grew up on a dairy farm. This would interest me because I also grew up on a dairy farm. Yeah. How did you go from, I'm not going to say the, the the term that is bandied about, but how did you go from milking cows every day to becoming a comedian? Well, my family, it probably it all starts. Mum and Dad had a band, a music band for 51 years. Wow. And um, they played, well, they played, Mum always tells me, and Dad's passed away, unfortunately, but they played at the Albion in Aubrey uh, seven years running every Saturday night. And so what's that, 300 and something days every Saturday. So um, they used to play a lot of the old-time music in 60s and whatever. So my, my brother and I were brought up sitting at the back of the hall, sleeping on the floor and everything. So it was right on the stage. And mum used to uh, play the drums and dad played probably nine instruments. Well, he did, he played nine instruments all quite well, actually. But, yeah, so we were brought up in a musical household and... Uh, Dad milked cows, he was a dairy farmer, but um, when his father died when he was younger, he thought, I'm going to have to try and save the farm. So he started really practising the piano and all his instruments, and at the time it was a real dance circuit um, yeah. around. So he then he thought, oh, I need a drummer, because he used to get this guy, and this guy said, I can't go anymore, my wife's getting a bit annoyed. So um, he taught mum to play the drums, and uh, over couple of years and she was a bit hesitant at the start so then they went for 51 years playing um music and they saved the farm and dad done all sorts of things and um sorry spud so your hmm. dad mum and dad do they they credit music for saving the family farm um yeah well yeah, yeah, there's wait. no money in farming yeah no it's, it's a lifestyle isn't <laughs> yeah, it really? yeah yeah Sorry, I grew up in Coriong, so I've heard 
to me. Yeah, I so. grew up around farmers. I've never heard of one taking up music to save the family. I was going to say, most people say that there's no money in music <laughs> <Yeah>. either. <laughs> <laughs> the well, truth. Back, and, and back then, it was, we were only talking, you know, I don't know what it was, but, you know, we're talking like $100 a night, but it all adds up back then. That's probably mm-hmm. like a lot of money now. And my brother, we won't get into that at the moment, he's, he's a movie director, so he's gone yeah. down that. So we were brought up with all entertainment, you could say. That was our life. I used to always say when I was young, I want to be a comedian because I used to play in the family band with mum and dad. What was your, your assigned, did you get assigned an instrument like your mother? Uh, uh, yeah, this is what you're playing, I'm going to teach uh, you. I played the piano and the trumpet and bass guitar and, and that, but um, mainly sang. I did a lot of singing, but um, when you want to do something like be a comedian, that's all I could think of. I just wanted to be a comic and... Um, People laughed at me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so <laughs> were you enjoying the parts between songs where you got to speak more than the music? Yeah, uh, and, I, and I used to MC the dances, and, and I, I must say, I, Mum would kill me, but I wasn't really up for the old time music. But it, it was, um, it was a social thing, and that was the era, and that's what Mum and Dad did. We played Dad's idea of rock and roll was a song called Running Bear. We played that at, we went at running bear on the banks of a river and Dad running was there bear. playing the piano really quick. And, Young Indian brave. And I, and I was saying to Dad, that's still pretty tame really, that song, because we, we played a few parties. and But, yeah, we had a great life. Still see a lot of older people around it and they say, oh, remember you, Sonny, you used to play at the old time dances. <laughs> I yeah. sung Running Bear uh, in grade five of the primary school concert in Tulane Valley. Yeah, well, there you, there go. you go. I know the song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was traumatic, that song. <laughs> There's a lot of meaning behind it. I might give it a rendition one day. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit intrigued. It's very unusual for someone, I'm going to say back then, like it's old-timey, <laughs> as a female to be playing the drums. Yeah, very unusual. And she got very good at it too. Mum Dad used to say she was the best roller in the district. I don't know what that means, but you know, you could roll the yeah. roll the drumsticks or whatever and she's yeah, she would have made a really good marching band thing and she's good at the foxtrots and yeah, we used to always had the drums set up in the lounge room too, but yeah, my brother and I played the drums a bit, but not not as good as mum. Mum mum was a real natural. She just rolled drum. with it. She just rolled with it. Yeah. So were there comedians at the time? My, my, you obviously had musical influences yeah. coming from your parents or wherever they were coming from, but was there a comedian or comedians you were watching? Well, no, well, I was surrounded by my dad. My dad was my God. He couldn't be serious if he tried. Even now, if I meet someone, dad's passed away, they said, I remember your father. You'd only talk to him for a couple of minutes and he'd have something funny to say. He's very entertaining, my father. But he was, he was, he was quite interesting, though. He could tell the best story ever for two people. Anymore, about I think about four is the cutoff. He'd he'd lose it, then he'd go, "Oh, it's too many people." And <laughs> but if it was only two, he could play music in front of hundreds. And yeah. that, but if he had to talk, so that's when I used to MC the dances when I was sixteen and and whatever. And uh, but then Dad used to go, he used to get the courage then to say, "Take your partners for the Pride of Erin or or whatever." But oh, the Pride of Erin! Did you have to learn the dances? Oh yeah, and no, I. I I had to do all that, and I don't know if it was to try and make mum and dad happy or it was just, well, we were there at dances, we'd either sit in the back of the hall and get bored or... or um, get a few girls to dance oh, with. Oh, well, yeah, that was the thing back then, but yeah. Um, just for the people <laughs> listening at home, the look on Spud's face when Mel just said Pride of Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he was like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh my god! I wouldn't even know how to do it now, but just the name of it is etched in yeah. my memory. Is just this hate <laughs> hatred that comes yeah, through. I think something. that's the same for everyone. <laughs> so yeah. you were basically, by implication of your dad maybe not wanting to communicate with those big audiences, mm. you were getting the chance to talk. Yeah. Can you tell me? Because I mean, I've only recently. I'm not sure if you know. I've done a bit of stand up in the last three years, and yeah. I'd had a musical life for nearly 20 years and I thought that was exhilarating. But the first time at a gig that I got an actual applause break, Mm. a small one, mind you, a little one, was probably the best creative moment of my whole life. Can you tell us about your first laugh, if you remember it? Probably, if we can go back before that, it probably started um, when we uh, were at school in year 10. I always had... uh, you get up on a Thursday afternoon and we had debating, but you could even do a story or make something funny. And it was only, only you didn't have to do it, but Mrs. Brunelli would mark you and I, I'd get up and talk all day. I'd talk underwater, as they say, with a mouthful of marbles, you know. One day we, <laughs> one day we, we were doing a subject and we couldn't get enough people to go up. So what I did is I put up one argument in the debating and they didn't have anyone on for the other team, so I went and then argued back against myself. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone thought that was hilarious, and I thought, gee, I like this laughter bit. This, yeah. is, this is great, because that was really when I first thought, well, I could really do something with this. I remember saying at um, the school interview, saying to mum and daddy, you've got something there, and get a bit emotional about it, actually. I remember thinking about it, and uh, yeah, I, I, um, that was probably my first. And then, obviously, on stage is... Um, when should we get that first one? Because you do doubt yourself, no matter how much you practice at home. or The most nerve-wracking thing I'd ever done. Yeah, and when you get up there and you first get that one, it's just like, yeah, bring it on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's so addictive. And then, yeah, the biggest thing is not trying to talk too quick. My, my thing over the years was I... I've got so much in my head, it never stops. And I want to get to the next bit. All right, you think yeah. that's funny. What about this next bit? <laughs> You've got to so, give people a chance to catch up yeah, to where your up. brain is. Yeah. yeah. So that's probably one of the things over the years. People say, oh, man, I was laughing that one, and you'd thrown another three on top of it. <laughs> you just, you know, that's a bit of a criticism I've had over the years. So as over the years, I've learned to relax. <laughs> Very good. If you like us, like I like us, get onto punchingsideways.com, give us a bit of a likesy, have a bit of an exploration around, and maybe buy us a coffee. You know, that's a bit of a criticism I've had over the years. So as over the years, I've learned to relax. Very so, good. <laughs> so now you say that, so it, it's been brought up to you that you were talking too fast. Did you recognise that yourself as well? And how? Pro- probably, and I don't know if it was something about like trying to remember everything. You, you talk a, bit, a little bit quicker because before you forget the next yeah, bit, it's all yeah. about practice because a gentleman told me, he said, um, when you start, I used to tell a story or, or one-liners or jokes or whatever in, in a certain pattern. Mm-hmm. But then I was talking to an old comedian who used to do the cross, actually, Peter, Pete Crofts, who helped me a lot. It's a long story about him. And uh, he said, um, once you get better and good, just have a heap of subjects. And then what happens if you get stopped or someone throws something in, you can – go and deal with that and then you can go back or you can change direction and after a while you get really good at it. So now I'd, people will see if I do Friday, Saturday night coming up, there'll be two different things half the time because I never do it the same. And that keeps me interested because I was getting, a not bored, but I was getting a bit like you're telling the same story or same thing. So I, I like, 
I'm just as surprised as the audience. Yeah. <laughs> where did that come from? Yeah, where did that come from? I don't know where that came from. Well, it's funny you say that because from a outsider looking in, before mm. I started, I'm going to inverted commas, hanging out with comedians and seeing stuff a little bit more and actually the amount of work that goes into constructing a joke and mm. executing it right. I remember I loved Jim Owen, loved yeah, him. he's one of my favourites. Loved him, had his DVD, watched it all the time. And then when yeah. he came to the Aubrey Entertainment Centre, oh, God, I was devastated because it was exactly the same as what yeah, was on yeah, the DVD. DVD. <laughs> and I just felt completely ripped off. Yeah. It, it, I suppose in one way from the comedian's defence is um, if you've got a great joke, you want to tell it. It's funny with music. You go, play that old song. I want to yeah. hear it. Oh, it's great. You yeah. can hear it 30 times, but people go, hang on a minute. Don't tell me that joke again. I'm not laughing twice at that. You know? Yeah, and it's right. And it's, it's a funny concept. All comedians will tell stuff that they've heard, but you might do it in a different order or put a different spin on yeah. it. Yeah, you have to write a lot of... Um, uh, Robin Williams used to have 88 subjects apparently and he used to be able to go off and the, and the thing is to make it look spontaneous like it's the first time you've ever said it. Yeah. But honestly, it, preparation is key in, in anything really. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much spontaneity goes on but you still got to have a base in behind it all. Yeah, and I think, like I said, that was a very um, uneducated view on it yeah. but i suppose you've also got to remember not everyone's going to take the time to educate themselves to <laughs> yeah. to th- to give you that little bit of slack i, I think potentially now, unlike maybe in the past where only a tiny small percentage of people would ever have seen the dvd or yeah. the thing on tv yeah yeah your best jokes now are getting watched 100 million times on facebook and youtube and whatever it's probably hard to keep rolling those out once, once they're already out in the world. Yeah, and there are people out there that want to hear something too. I'll do that one that, you know, I, I, I've got certain jokes. So my kids in particular, a couple of stories they, they really love about something. They say, Dad, do that, do, you know. And, and I suppose they're the ones out of everyone you want to impress the most, to be honest, your family, because yeah. they're the last ones that come on board usually. <laughs> yeah. My mum and dad would go, oh, you're, going to, you're doing comedy? Okay, right they wouldn't come for the first couple of years, you know, yeah. sort of. And then they came and, you know, sit up there with their chest out going, oh, that, that's my son, that bit. <laughs> my parents are my worst critic as well. Oh, they, they yeah. usually are, aren't they? I yeah. think Josh met my mum once and he got super defensive of me because mum was just throwing shade at me left, right and centre and he didn't know whether it was... Well, I didn't understand the nature of the relationship. A trap or anything like that. just getting massively thrown under the bus for five minutes. Yeah. (laughs) But it it stops you from getting any ego. Oh, that's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) It also makes you extremely self-doubt yourself in every capacity. (laughs) But you don't get an ego, so that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. With the... You were talking before, Spud, that you had a teacher... That supported you. Miss Brunelli. Yes. Yeah. And one, firstly, what school was that? That was Mitchell College, it's called now, but Wodonga Tech. I Wodonga went to an all boys school. Yeah, my I went. dad went to Wodonga Tech. Yep. Yeah. I thought that might have been a connection there. Yeah. I saw that yeah. online. The other thing is that I'll just tell a quick story. My first ever time telling jokes to a group of people yeah. was in year nine English, and we had our principal's wife at the time was doing a fill in, a sub. And I'd written this whole piece on how I thought Shakespeare, because I was in a band and I was obsessed with 80s metal bands because my brothers were into them. They all had groupies. And I thought, oh, well, maybe Shakespeare had some groupies. So I wrote in Shakespeare's language a heap of conversations between his groupies and him. 
And then I got kicked out of class for three weeks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she was not a fan. I got an instant fail. Oh, wow. Uh, got kicked outside. So how important were those early people supporting you? Because it's not, and it still isn't, all that common to say, I want to be a comedian mm. and have anyone really support you. Yeah, that's that's right. Even friends that are close to you sometimes go, really? You want to? I know you're funny, but you, you know what that involves? Yeah. You've actually got to get up there and do it. So don't worry. I've... I've been peeking out behind a curtain on, on a stage before and you look out there and you think, wow, how did I get myself into this? And that's what I love, though. I love the, I love the challenge and I love, um, and I'd like to think I'm doing okay at it. And, um, yeah, so some people run from it. I, I'd like to think I so run towards it. You've got a very unique background in the fact that you've pretty much only done stuff for yourself yeah so is that because you don't like doing what other people tell you and you um, like to push against well the normal conformity or <laughs> what, what's the workings behind that spud i think once again it comes back from a family my parents on both sides and grandparents and grandparents they all were farmers and they all work for themselves yeah. so i was brought up on a farm and then i I did have a – I started a refrigeration business, building cool rooms and whatever as well. But I only ever had the one job and that was – I should mention where it was. But anyway, I had a job in, in town. It was only for 12 weeks. Well, it was supposed to be for – my idea was for a couple of years to get a bit of money because when you work on the farm for your father, you fill up the car with fuel and, and uh, $8 is what you get for a month, you, you know, which fed. is fine. And yeah, you get fed. fed and yeah. I'm happy with that. Yeah. We were happy with that. Yeah. I went into town and back in the days of the old CES and yeah. I saw a card on the wall and it said refrigeration mechanic and I thought I could do that. And anyway, <laughs> I went I, 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 I went up to the guy I'm at the counter. I'm more and more <laughs> <laughs> I, I went up to the counter and, and I said, uh, what's this entail? I said, I'm fixing refrigerators. And I said, I'll fix refrigerators and that. And for my dad was, can fix fridges and that. And he goes, oh, yeah. And I said, I haven't got any tickets this time yeah. and he goes well we don't want to if you can do the job mate the job's yours and I went all I could see was the money I'm thinking wow I'm going to have some money I could take some girls out this is going to be awesome <laughs> yeah anyway so he said I could ring the guy now and you can give, give him a call so they rang back in those days and said he gets off the phone he says okay just go around he's just around the corner rah, rah, rah. so I went around there and within about an hour I talked myself into anything and out of some a lot of times I had the job Anyway, yeah. I thought, now I've got to go home and tell Dad. This is the yeah, right. interesting thing because Dad said, well, and he wasn't happy. He said, who's going to milk the cows? Who's going to do this? Anyway, I did the job and uh, I was doing a job in Wise Street, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Fixing a, a refrigerator and a little old couple were, they were probably in their mid-80s and the, the, the price came to, I always remember, $168. And I felt very sorry for them. I thought, oh, gee. I know how much part costs, and I'm thinking, yeah, oh, gee, that's a bit more than I would have charged. You know? <laughs> and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? So um, I said to him, look, if you ever need anything ever fixed ever again, I'll give you my phone number. You can just ring me direct, and I'll, I'll come and fix it for you because, you know, it won't cost that much. And I, I wasn't thinking. I thought, you know, 
Anyway, they went in the next day and said, he's a lovely young man, he said, and we could ring him direct and don't have to go through the office. <laughs> so I got called into the office and said, um, you've got the big DCM, and I didn't know what that meant, you know, don't come Monday. And I thought, oh, struce. All right, so I only had one attempt at a job and I didn't last very long. So you were only sort of trying to do the right thing. Oh, I was trying to do the yeah. right thing, but I got five. So one job and I got five. My mate thinks it's hilarious. They well, do. I guess the only thing worse than that, Spud, would have been if they had have went to bowls and gave that number out to 150 people. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> You're the young man that'll do it for free, for right? Free, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so. So, we, sorry, I'm just, when you said your dad's going, who's going to milk the cow? <laughs> Who's that? And it's, it's just <laughs> triggering me a little bit yeah. because it's such a commitment, like you said before, it's a mm. lifestyle. There's no like mm. in and out. Was it him sort of wanting you to fail or him just going, no. oh, I wasn't really expecting Bud to go off and – He didn't think I'd probably follow through with it. But yeah. even knowing who I was or our whole family's a bit that we decide something we – Follow it through. He was a bit worried, probably, I suppose. <laughs> so if, I'm just thinking now, like, as a dairy farmer, you'd be knackered going in and playing music on a Saturday night and then having to rock up the next morning. And, and not smell cowie. That was a big thing. Yes. Mum would say, you smell cowie. Wash your hands again. <laughs> you can't get rid of cowie smell. <laughs> no. Mum used to try and have a different washing machine for the cow clothes because you just can't get yeah. rid of it. Can't? And then no. when they bought in iodine, do you yeah, remember yeah, that? I certainly do. And so that you, it colours your hands. You had to. This is a, this is a fun reminiscing fact here, Josh. <laughs> yeah. You had to spray the teats with iodine to stop them getting all infected, and it just stunk. It was gross. That, that's right. <laughs> but we had the lifestyle too. My family holiday yeah. was one night at Shepparton at the Park Lake right. for International Dairy Week. Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> two days off. That was, that was our family holiday each year, which was all business, obviously. Yeah, so, gee. So you built your cool rooms, RBR, Party High. Did you ever think, oh, I'm just going to tee up with them and get them to put the party on and I'll just perform? Yeah, was there any opportunity, if there's anything like that, I'd always jump at it. Yeah. So, but Sorry, Spud, when you say opportunities, what were they back then? Because it wasn't exactly well, a comedy club around here. No. Because, yeah, because my brother went to Melbourne to be – I'm a movie director, you could say. I I was only telling him a few days ago, I thought about that, but I thought there must be an opportunity around this area. So I used to go, I started going to Melbourne every Tuesday, Thursday. I was making three or four trips, this is no story, three or four trips sometimes, some weeks. I was so obsessed, but down to Melbourne, I'd go down there. I wouldn't stay the night because it had, you know, what I'd get paid to get chewed up in accommodation. So yeah. I'd come back home again. I'd get home at 1 o'clock in the morning and then I'd, I'd say to Mum, I've got to go back on Wednesday. You're just down there. And I said, yeah, yeah I know, but how am I going to get good? And I used to try and – Pete Crofts, who so I could talk about later, he told me, an older comedian who's in his late 70s now, he said, try and find the hardest rooms you can find in Melbourne and perform at them and don't worry about how it goes. That'll harden you and that'll teach you so much. So I, I remember ringing up one place was a lounge in St Kilda and there was just a place with a lot of little lounges, a bit like the one in Aubrey. And I ended up enjoying it and uh, it did sort of help me a lot, I think, because if you do something if you think cushy, you don't get any get any better. So by hardest, hardest to get a laugh, hardest yeah, to deal hardest with the get, staff, hardest, hard, to, get hardest to deal with the really. crowd, was it everything? Or just- yeah, a bit of everything and... 
gee, the dynamics of the room's got a lot to do with it, as you know, when you're setting up things. It's um, You go in and you think, gee, this room feels cold and it's just uh, the ceiling's too high or it's too low or the crowd's too far back or the bar's too close or, gee, those bar- <laughs> I remember doing one show at the Collie Amberley Hotel and I counted 36 TVs in the room in a big circle, the big hectagon. I don't know yeah. if you've been out there. And I said, mate, um, where were we doing the comedy? He says, you're just standing over there under that TV. And I went, are you going to turn any TVs off? And he goes, oh, gee, the punters will get really cranky if we turn them <laughs> off. Oh, so that, that hardens you with your fight yeah. against all these TVs and you've got the races going. But I actually, ended, luckily, got everyone listening. So, so that's a challenge. Do you think sometimes when you walk into like an absolute shit show like that, mm. It's almost like, well, I'm like the underdog here. There's nothing to lose. So you can almost just, the pressure's not on because there's no expectation. I think there's a bit of that, I suppose. Yeah, probably one of the hardest gigs is when the pressure's on, when everyone expects with the build-up. I remember going into Gove in Northern Territory about four years ago and they were charging they were charging $100 a ticket, okay? And I thought, wow, gee, I better go pretty good here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, I as I wa- as I walked in, this guy with a big beard, he looked like Santa Claus, I remember, said, Oi, you're the comedian, are you? And I went, yeah, I'm the comedian, mate. And he goes, you want to be? I won't say what he said. Good for that money. <laughs> and I thought, oh, Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> so you did get a bit of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. They did have a meal with it. Yeah. It wasn't just a, it was yeah. a three-course meal and yeah. whatever. But I kept on thinking, there must have some other entertainment. There's got to be someone else here. And I think, no, that was just me. And I didn't have any, I don't have any warm-up act. It was just me. <laughs> you know, and I thought, yeah, but it went, it did go really good. And I thought, well, um, you guys must be starved, I said, but no, it went. Did you have to perform while they were eating? Or did you no, go that's an, another thing. That's a big killer because I was thinking that'd be pretty tough. All the corporate gigs I've done over the years, people, people come up and say, "Oh, it's bad. We're about to start soon. What we're going to do is going to bring the meals out just as you come on." I went, "No, no, 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 no. You don't want to do that. No, no. I'd rather go after. No, no. Well, we've got to serve." I said, "Well, I'll wait until the sweets or in between the main or the yeah. because you don't want it when they're eating. They can't laugh with you know they're Mouthful, eating yeah. and they're not concentrating so much." And that's always been of a – you can even tell them before a show and then on the night they still want to bring out the food just as the comedy's starting. Go, no, no, you're not doing that. Sorry. I think you've got a captive audience because they're not talking to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and all that. So there's so much, so much goes into it like, it like anything, I suppose. So you talked about the, the tough clubs that you did early on. How long were you doing those tough clubs for and what was the was there a goal you had that I want to get on the, a certain lineup or get into an even bigger club? What were you doing those yeah. like those trips, multiple trips to Melbourne? What was it for? Yeah, to try and get somewhere, I suppose. I, I, I they must have been hopeless, as I say. I did a show at Funk, uh, not Funked Up and Funny. Yeah, Funked Up and Funny in Fitzroy. It was at the Rochester Castle. It was my first show in Melbourne. And I remember they had 16 comics. And uh, as I got there, the bloke shook my hand. He goes, G'day, mate, you're the comedian from the country, eh? And I went, yeah, yeah, I'm a country boy. They always say that. And I, I've only got the one head, though, you know, and all that. And they said, I hope you win tonight. And I said, beg your pardon? He said, I hope you win tonight. And I said, what do you, what do you mean win? And he said, oh, we've got the crowd voting. You get a $25 bottle of uh, alcohol. And I'm not a big drinker, and I just went, okay, Mirado. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be told how hopeless I am. This is not good. And I'm thinking, anyway, I only had 10 minutes of material. I'd walked up and down 
airstrip that that's dad flew an aeroplane. That's another story on the on the oh. uh, on the on the farm. But anyway, Putting out the super. Yeah, uh, yeah, he used to put out his own super. That's a long story. There you go. Oh, I love the Anyway, we're, we're we're walking up and down. I only had ten minutes of material. That's all I had, but it was all about on the farm life compared to the city. I even remember some of the things I said. You know, you got a lot of lights down here. What is it? One each? We well, got three each. Well, look, we only got a candle up our way. You know, we all <laughs> huddle around it. You know, and. You know, and you know, it costs all that. And they, because I had a point of difference, it, I think it stood out. And everyone's going, wow, this country boy is funny. Wow, this, I haven't heard anyone like this before. Like I said, they must have been hopeless because I won it. Anyway, that guy, it's all about confidence. I, I think, wow, I got a $25. And I gave it to some bloke, hey, mate, do you drink? And he goes, yeah, well, I'm in a pub. And I said, well, yeah, here's a $25 drink voucher. That gave me confidence. And then I thought, well, I've got to take it up from here. So I went to, a guy called Dave Grant, God rest his soul, he died, unfortunately, not long ago, but he was doing the Melbourne Comedy Club and he said, oh, would you come and support me at the Melbourne Comedy Club? And I'd only done one gig in Melbourne. I went, wow, where's that? And I've heard of it and I'd love to get there. And he says, oh, you only got to do 10 minutes before I go on. You can be the first act. And I thought, well, I've got 10 minutes. I know, but I, it wouldn't hurt to get a bit more, I'm thinking. So I started writing extra stuff and... And uh, yeah, so in that was not for about four weeks. So within about six weeks, I found myself at the Melbourne Comedy Club in front of five hundred people. By then, it was about my fourth gig. I went and did a few others at the Comics Lounge and that, and that went really well. And that's how it um, started. So I went backwards and forwards. I was addicted, bitten by the bug. Then I thought, how am I going to keep coming down here for the rest of my life? I might bring them back up to here. So I did have a comedy club in Albury back in two thousand and one for a little yeah, while. Yeah, right. For two years. Where was that? Uh, at the Hume Inn, opposite Noriel Park, upstairs. Yeah, okay. And we yeah. had 23 weekends of two Friday, Saturday night, and it was sold out three weeks prior to each show. And I used to MC it all the time or put myself in it because I'm addicted, as I said. But not occasionally I, was, I wouldn't go in it, but I'd be sitting there like a bit disgruntled thinking, I should be up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you're like, I've put this space on. Oh, I've put this on, uh, yeah. So, you um, need to appreciate me as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's not an ego thing, don't <laughs> worry. It's just about wanting to perform. We'll say again, outsider looking in, the comedy world seems hmm. to be very supportive of each other as opposed to some of the other entertainment industries that I've seen. I'd like to say uh, comics are quite nice people because we want to be liked, like really yeah. liked. Desperately. Um, <laughs> desperately. And, and they say there's tragedy. I don't know if there was a bit of tragedy. I think I just had a, a different upbringing where I, I got my – I can't think of any huge tragedy I've had. I don't think that's a – they always say, oh, you must have had – you know, they must – Comedy, good comedy comes from tragedy, but I don't think that's always the case. That's uh, different perspective. Yeah, different perspective. On things, and it seems like you did have that point of difference originally. How have you been able to survive as a comedian? Because I'm going to be 100% honest. Yeah. Before this stuff with bird dog and the alley cat and all that sort of stuff come up. I'm like, who the F is Spud Murphy when yeah. he's at home? Yeah, yeah, well, and that's what mum says, who are yeah, you? Yeah. I've changed a lot. Yeah, so, no, but like, <laughs> well, I, sp I suppose the perception uh, would be that if you were successful, and again, this is perception, yeah. 
is that I, everyone around here would be celebrating you because this is a guy from, he's a dairy farmer or he was yeah. brought up as a dairy farmer. And But I've noticed more so now there are a lot of great people walking around Aubrey Wodonga that have done world-class things mm. and just I think, go yeah, about their own day. I think one of the, I don't know if it's an annoying thing, but I was saying to my brother the other day, I said, it does annoy me that, if I'm allowed to say city people, yeah. as soon as they say we're from the country, they go, is he any good? He's from the country, you know? Yeah. And um, what I used to get off when I was doing the comedy, uh, um, Brad Oaks and Dave O'Neill and that, because, you know, it's quite hard to be able to, they're very fussy about who's going to MC a night because yeah. they can ruin the night and it makes it really hard. I remember one of my friends, we were doing, uh, done it a heap of times, I can't even think what it's called, uh, Elephant and Wheelbarrow in Melbourne. Oh, yeah. Done it so many times. But I remember he had a, he was having a particular bad night and he was the MC and he goes, and now I'd like to bring on one of my best mates, this guy's – we're like peas in a pod, and I'm thinking, no, I don't know you. Don't, <laughs> don't mention me. So I got up there and said, oh, that's we're what happens. We're not mates at all. Yeah, I don't know him. Don't listen to him. No, that's what happens when you pick up a hitchhiker on the way to a gig, and he reckons he get MC, and he's done not too bad, but not really. And you know, <laughs> and I, I, I distanced myself from him. Yeah. So I've I've survived with uh, corporate gigs. I've done a lot of corporate shows for thing, and that's straight to the point. That's where the money added, yeah. and I'm. Not a bad saber, I suppose. You get in trouble robbing banks, apparently. Uh, if you get caught. You do get your own balaclava, as they say. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so all the community in Melbourne, there wouldn't be many comics that don't know me. Then I, I like to think I've got a really good name. You can ask yeah. all of even Jamoan. You can ask him and he'll – I play golf with Jamoan and he'll go – I've just shaded him. Sorry, Jamoan. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'll be telling him. Yeah, you and, can. And, I'm sure. And that's uh, that perception. It can't be – not trying to be, but a hero in your own town or your own house, you know, yeah. with your mum and dad, you know, go, yeah. Who are you? you're just our son, get out, you know. Yeah. So, and, and that's that's always going to be, same as when you're travelling, that people go, this is a really weird area here, people, you know, are very, and I hear that, if I haven't heard that a hundred times a year, you know, it doesn't matter where you go, said, oh, it's very strange this town, and, you know, people don't always get behind everything. Yeah. That's everywhere. Yeah. That's not just Aubrey Wodonga, yeah. that's just not, Dolby in Queensland, that's everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere you go. Do you find yourself with a different set of nerves if you're performing in front of people you know versus a group of corporate strangers? Honestly, probably not now. Probably, yeah, okay. um, I know if my, some of my friends have seen me probably 50 times, and that's, yeah, okay. I get really off on that. But, yeah. uh, and the reason I like performing to people who haven't seen me, it's Everything is completely fresh, and yeah. I like the blow away, blown away factor. They go, "Wow, I didn't expect that!" And I did a show exactly where the comedy club's going to be for um, Printer Wizards about 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, and a bloke, came, three brothers, came up shaking my hands, going, "Come on, mate, you're not local." I always remember going, "Yeah, no, you're not Aubrey <laughs> Wodonga. Don't come on, you are a comedian. Just you're off stage now. Just the way they're carrying on. Come on, where are you from? Whereabouts in Melbourne or Sydney?" I said, "I'm not. I'm Aubrey Wodonga." Oh, well, you just let up, and this is exactly how they're going. <laughs> That's great, <laughs> and and I always remember you get a bit of that. So, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I I get off on that, and I think, wow. How did you did you practice when we're in lockdown? Like, yeah, or, yeah. How did you I, I, do um, that? I, I I've got a, a lucky enough. I've got a room at the back of my place that's probably fit fifty people, and it's um I've got a stage with big red curtain, 
and I've got lights and stays and, and uh, everything. So I'm not a nutcase, but I'll go out there and talk to myself. Yeah. Um, and I'll pretend when you've got the lights in your eyes, you pretend you've got a crowd because I haven't got the luxury of in, in Melbourne, a lot of the comics like Jim Owen and that, they'll go and get up and do five minutes all the time trying materials. That they'll yeah. go walk around. I might do five or six. At open venues, mics, sort of stuff. Open mics. Yeah. And um, I can't do that because where I am. So what I'll do that, but – because I was saying before, I have a lot of subjects. I've got a book that this is how I do it. I, I look at all the subjects and I go, okay, young people, old people, uh, food, whatever, and I'll go through it. And then each page, I'll remember everything I want to say in there. And as you get better and better, you can do it all in different orders. And and when I'm on stage, I'm looking, thinking, right, I'll do that bit. Right, and and then after a while, it doesn't look like you're thinking. Thinking, yeah, yeah it just it just comes and and it just jumps in my head and go, oh. Yeah, I'm doing this one. And it's just like when we're talking now, I don't know what we're talking about next, but yeah. it just, just comes out. <laughs> yeah. I remember Richard Stubbs saying, and I'm not, I, that was before my time, but a lot of people talk about just how giant he was when yeah, he was. Yeah, he's a, coming up too. He's, yeah, he too, apparently was a monster back in the day. And, and he said that when he knew he was getting really good at comedy, yeah. he could be in the moment. And then he could fast forward three jokes ahead in his head and like, oh, they'll really like that one, but I'm going to leave that one out because yeah. they're really loving the one I'm doing at the moment. So he could almost be in two places at once, <laughs> fully engaged, but also plotting a different set out in his head. Yeah. I remember doing one in, in Melbourne at one stage and I was thinking, oh, they're not going to like this next bit because I only knew it in one order. And I thought, oh, it's about marriage or about this and they're all 18. Oh, no. Oh, but, but the only way I'm going to remember to get to the next bit or the next bit is do it in this particular order. Yeah. But as I've got better now, I can just go, no, I'm leaving that out. Oh, I better not talk about that because that's going to offend them or – I remember doing a show at the Carlton in, in Dean Street once and this sounds like a joke in itself and they came out and said, oh, you're the comedian? And I said, yeah, this is not a joke. He said, we've got four nuns and three priests in the front row. <laughs> I'm not joking. And I went, this is at Christmas time and I went, well, so obviously I started off with a priest and nun joke and I got them on side. <laughs> yeah, <very good. laughs> Did you ever find out, were they dressed up or were they legit? No, they were legit, yeah. <laughs> they, they were there for the um for That's the awesome. Venues, so. Yeah, that's well, it maybe 17 years ago. I don't know. It was in my first couple few years anyway. Have you ever poked your head out from behind stage and seen a type of person? I mean, that's a pretty extreme example, but somewhere you just thought, oh, gosh, my set does not. Oh, yeah, you, you, you're going to, to get that. Different nationalities, we obviously have different sense of humour. I did yeah. the hydroponics conference in um, Mawala about five, eight years ago, maybe ten, yeah. and they had them from all over the world. And uh, I luckily I didn't know about it because I would have been thinking about it and worried a bit more about it, yeah. thinking, oh, gee, they had Japanese people too. And yeah. it's on my brochure actually as one of my, uh, when they give you a reference, yeah, yeah you okay. can say reference, whatever, because it went so well. I don't know if they were staff for coming up, but it was, you know, it was 250 people in the room and it couldn't have went better if it tried. And there was nationalities from all over the world and, and Maybe that, it was because they were talking about hydroponics for the rest well, of the day. Well, yeah, I did be... make a lot of jokes about that. <laughs> I, I said I thought when I heard I was booked for this, I thought you guys were all going to be off your head, but I must say there's only half of you though. Know? <laughs> <laughs> I remember saying that. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so you, you certainly get some different situations. You're not afraid of heckling the crowd. I, I'm, a mate I was saying about who works for Cricket Australia, he said I – his favourite bit is when I talk to the crowd. He said, you just should talk because that's what I do all day long. I, I'm 
bit of a well, I'd like to think I'm quick-witted. Yeah. And um, he said, you don't even have to do anything. You just talk to the crowd all night. I mean, that would be great. He said, he said, because he's seen me do Bishop's Electrical. And <laughs> and he came and he said, oh, dear, I just, I just couldn't get enough. So something good that you're doing is the new comedy club in Albury, Spud's Comedy Club. So I was hoping we could finish up by talking about what it is, what you're hoping to do with it, and maybe that first event because obviously that's super important. Well, I think Aubrey's big enough to have a comedy club, and I think um, we shouldn't miss out here in the country, and people don't have to go to the city, so I think we can bring them to... We're going to be clever and bring all the acts to here from Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, America, England, when they're out here for festivals, and bring them all to, bring them all to town. And uh, if people really get behind it and support it, you know, this is going to be huge, and... Uh, it's not going to start off every weekend, but I'd like to eventually have it every weekend. Uh, we'll hopefully try and have some full rooms, and uh, once people come on board and, and know about it, it's certainly going to be a lot cheaper than going to Melbourne. And I mean, Melbourne, you can still go down for other things, but have your comedy in Aubrey, Wodonga. It'll be the same acts you see as if you went to the cities, but they'll be you only got to drive down the street. Now let's talk about the space. It's the greatest space ever. I've, I've performed a lot of places and it's all about that ambience. ambience. It, is. it is. And it's it's just got that feel. It's um, You walk in there and it's like, wow, how cool is this? So it's in the new, the new venue called Bird Dog? Yeah, Bird Dog. And upstairs? It's up, upstairs, but When yeah. you When you say drive down the street for the locals, we're talking about driving to Dean Street. Yeah, it's Dean yeah, Street. Yeah, Dean Street. <laughs> and it's opposite the cinema centre, the main hub in town, you could say. So it's yeah. perfect location. I will... F- Pay testament to the feeling of being up there because I'm, I've had the privilege of being shown around in all stages by yeah. Chris, Chris Maney. Yeah. Shout out to him who just is championing. How come I can't say that you word? Gotta at the he's, I gotta get. He's the owner of the venue. By yeah, the way, but he yeah. is really just putting a space together to for entertainment and creatives. Yeah. But that stage up there to stand in, so I do a little bit of emceeing, but. How unreal is it? Like you're in this recessed, yeah, like stage, and you can just look out into what will be the crowd, and it just feels awesome. It's yeah. the only time I've ever felt like that in a I'll, space. I'll tell you a quick story, yeah. Spud, about the space yeah. and how much it impacted Mel because I hadn't seen it yet, which I have since. Yeah, she rang me and she said, "The stage, the yeah. stage is amazing. It's the most comfortable. Like it's, it's <laughs> literally a room full of." stuff and couches and it was yeah, used yeah, to yeah. storage and she could see the potential but she said I stood there and I felt I've never felt like this on a stage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just a Pretty warm special, and, and, isn't it? and the colours and just the it's got the relaxed feel too with the, the height of the roof. The height of the roof perfect. and the corrugate. Yeah. Just everything's it's just yeah, because like I said, a lot of places you go in and it's just that bland feeling. It's got no atmosphere. This is atmosphere overload and it's just people are gonna feel relaxed when they're in there, aren't they? It's they are. um until start talking to them, then they'll... (laughs) Now, something a little bit adverse to what you were saying earlier, you've called it Spud Murphy's Comedy Club. Oh, Spud's Comedy Club, So the Well, there's a bit of ego there now, isn't there? You're like, come on, guys. I've been doing this for a while. I'm going to name a club after me. Well, you did did mention before who's this Spud's Comedy Club. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll tell you who it is. (laughs) Tell He's me. got his name on the door. Yeah, look out. Up the stairs. <laughs> if you can't fix it with the name of a venue, you're pretty much That's a right. lost cause. <laughs> and, it, and it just happens to rhyme, so I suppose comedy club. I just thought, well, because I tried all different things, and then my brother was saying, why don't you just 
because you know um and I, he said like i'm not saying i'm michael mcintyre but michael mcintyre's comedy road show and, yeah. and i said all right i think that might be the go so they'll, they'll know now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you showed them so how much is a ticket and where can they get a ticket from well tickets are four five forty five tickets you can get it from try booking just yeah. just go on try booking and type in spuds comedy club and if not, there you'll see a poster around town and you screenshot it and like a QR code, it'll take you to dry booking. That's very tech savvy. Uh, yeah, well, I didn't even know when we did it. A friend of mine said, oh, you got to do this. And I said, well, what are we talking about? Yeah. So, QR uh, codes are the funniest thing ever. Ten years ago, they came out and no one knew what they were and never used them. And yeah. then because of what's happened in the world, everyone's as familiar with them now as they are with anything else. Yeah, yeah. yeah everything's got a QR code on it now. We'll make sure we've got a link on the bottom of this oh, to, to shoot people around to... To come and see the comedy. And, and the if comedy. everyone gets yeah, involved and gets gets behind it, it's going to be the best thing for for everybody, you know. Um, I really think it's time for Aubrey Wodonga again to have something like a this. A dedicated. Yeah, space. well, we're a very big centre now. People sometimes say, well, there's not enough on or this or that. Well, here it is right in front of you. Let's, yep. let's support it. That's the other thing, right, is make, they, there's a lot of complainers around but no yeah. one's actually willing to put their hand up yeah, and have a crack that's right and a lot of people will, will only um back on back something when the horse is past the post they won't yeah they won't even back it just before yeah you know so well what are our odds spud because i like long odds well, and yeah. you win more money when you you back a horse on long odds it's always yeah. the gray you put put your money on the gray horse mum taught me that i used to like gray horses um, yeah. melbourne cup i always like yeah. to yeah, I always lose. I put. I'm a big better. Twenty dollars every year. That's all about bet, yeah. and I lose it every year. So it's a yep. donation, really. Yeah. So we're going to donate forty five long odds. Yeah. For a ticket. That's right. Spuds and a hundred percent guaranteed laughs. There you go. That'd be the best night. There you go. You you've get a return on investment. In years, I know when we had um, the comedy club twenty years ago, people. Uh, I just that's what we get off on after the show. People hanging around. Yeah. And just, man, I had the best time ever and I'm going to send you a bill for me sore stomach, gut, gut muscles, you know, and all that. And oh, I've never laughed so much in my life. And, yeah. oh, gee, it's a lot better than I'd ever thought. And, oh, you know, and that's how we do it. Yeah. You know, and uh, I love the challenge. Excellent. Yeah, that's good. Okay, guys, so you can get everything over at punchingsideways.com, including a link to where to buy tickets. And I'll put a couple of Spud's videos into the actual post with the podcast episode as well. So you can click on that and have a bit of a laugh. He's got some cool stuff there. Yeah. And, yeah, thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very Bud. much. Thank you so much. It feels weird saying Spud. 